Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. I'm blessed to be able to learn from a lot of them. Um, so John 14 to 18, let's get right into it. John 14 to 18 is the start. So it's Jesus winding up his ministry on earth. It's really intentional with the way John presents that and the way Jesus concludes his ministry as he gets death, gets ready for his death and uh, his ultimate resurrection. So last week, if you weren't here or if you haven't listened to the podcast, we we're looking at uh, ways that Jesus, human Jesus, showed that he was divine. But this week we're going to change it up and we're going to have a look at how we are divine as humans. So we're going to learn a bit about the Holy Spirit. Now, last week in, uh, in the chapters that we looked at, John 9 through to 13, we saw that Jesus had an, an audience of Jewish people. And this week he kind of twists it towards his disciples and that's it. So he's really giving them a pre-game talk. He's telling them that it's going to be tough when he leaves. He's speaking more candidly about his death and he's also just preparing them spiritually and physically um, and mentally and emotionally for what is going to happen uh, beyond his death. If I could sum up these chapters, John 14 to 18, in one sentence, it would be this, that Jesus is teaching us about his role linking us to God. Yeah, so Jesus is teaching us how we are linked to God, to the kingdom of heaven, to eternal life. And in chapter 18, this is the account where Jesus is being arrested and he claims that he is the king of the Jews. He's asked by Pilate about that and he provides, he's proving his role as the Messiah to the Jews and as the great high priest. And the Jews of the day believed that God's presence was behind the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem. Now we've got new curtains here this morning. God's presence is there behind the curtains. So if you want to have a bit of a peek, you can have a look. But he's also here as well in this room. He's in the hearts of people here this morning. He is all over the globe. And we're going to get into that this morning. God's presence and power is in our hearts. It's everywhere. So Jesus is preparing his disciples. And there's a really key verse that we'll get to in a moment where he, he realises that the disciples actually get it, that they understand who he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's going to die and it's up to them to build the church, not Jesus, not, not any kind of works that Jesus did on earth but through the works that the disciples and their disciples will do. So they are starting to feel empowered not embarrassed, not confused, but empowered. And they're starting to feel like they have something to contribute. They've done their apprenticeship with Jesus, three years with him, following him around, and now they're getting ready to start their own ministry and their own remit there that God's calling them to. So anyway, the five chapters that we're going through today, John 14, explaining the Holy Spirit. John 15, um, there's a bit of an interlude here where Jesus starts talking figuratively about being the vine and us being the branches. And then he gets back into some Holy Spirit talk as well. 
From there, we get into the the conclusion of his ministry and he concludes with a prayer. The largest, longest prayer recorded in the Gospels is in John 17. That's Jesus' prayer. And then in chapter 18, he gets arrested and he stands trial. Now, we're not going to go into chapter 18 in any depth this morning. We've just gone through Easter, so we've touched on that. We'll be concentrating on 14 through to 17. So right now, I want to look at Uh, chapters 14 and 16. We're going to park chapter 15 for a little while and you'll notice that they're both about the Holy Spirit, 14 and 16. Five times in the Gospel of John is the amount of times that Jesus talks explicitly about the Holy Spirit and we get it in spades in these two chapters. So I want to read through a few statements that really pop out in these scriptures. John 14, verses 15 to 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. His name is the Spirit of Truth. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 14, 26 to 27. But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And this is moments before he goes through that awful trial and death. Chapter 15, 26 to 27, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also will testify about me. For you have been with me from the beginning. Nothing more powerful than an eyewitness testimony. 16 verse 7, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And doesn't he? John 16, 12 to 16, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. So he only speaks when God prompts him. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So Jesus sets up his teaching right at the start of John chapter 14 and he says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. We sang that this morning, didn't we? In my father's house there's a place for me. In my father's house there's a place for me. What Jesus is saying is, We are divine. We can grab a hold of eternal life. We can go to heaven. We are more divine, more supernatural, more spiritual than we realise when we accept the Holy Spirit into our life. We're not just a bunch of uh, religious people who follow a few sets of rules, tick a few boxes and then get into heaven. No, we actually have, have heaven in us. That's what the Holy, Holy Spirit links us to heaven in everything that we do and say. So so Jesus here is explaining that because we have citizenship in heaven, we actually can 
bring heaven to earth. We can make earth more spiritual, more supernatural, more godly through the use of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says that we that when he goes and he goes away, the counsellor will come. And he says in verse uh, chapter 16, verse 7, unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. Now, when we read the Old Testament, we see that a prophet is always succeeded by another prophet. So there's, there's, a, there's a footprint of God on earth before Jesus comes through spiritual successes. So Moses, he handed the baton on to Joshua. And Samuel handed the baton on to David. And who handed the baton on to Solomon, his son? And we just read through the book of Judges. And it's just a little paragraph on every prophet that comes through and does the work of God. There's, there's a handing on of the baton. And so it's lineal through time. But when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, it actually it's not linear in time, but it's horizontal throughout the world. So it, we don't need to go through a ministry of time that a prophet has. So he'll serve three years and then hand it on to someone else and he'll serve five years like a prime ministership. No, everyone does that at the same time so that God's power is spread throughout the earth through the Holy Spirit. And that's where we have this funny little interlude that if we just skim through over John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, it doesn't seem to fit. But when we think about it that way, it really does fit. So Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He's the root of the vine and then we are the branches, the vines that intertwine around um, buildings and around um, poles and all of that. Um, vines in themselves require a lot of care. So the more you tend to a vine, the better the fruit is. Yeah. So they can grow like crazy, but they only grow like crazy when someone tends to it really uh, delicately and really attentively. So we, we see that there's in a vine that has a function and there's also a beauty. Like you look at a grapevine at this time of year with all the browns and the greens, it's, it's amazing. Like it, re it really is a beautiful plant that we see. And so if we jump into the book of Isaiah, in particular chapter 5, we're not going to go there on the screen. I just want to touch on this. But Jesus, Jesus takes the place of Israel being the vine. If you want to read about this in your own time, Isaiah 5 talks about Israel being the great grapevine. Great grapevine. That makes sense. It was hard to say, but it makes sense. The great grapevine. And so God is the root there. And Jesus comes in in John chapter 15 with a bit of a Jewish audience already, but he says, I'm the grapevine, meaning I am the Messiah. And, and everyone is connected to me. You are a branch. And if you, wanna, if you love me and you obey my commands, then you have me as a grapevine. And so I recently bought a house. And on settlement day, the, the uh, real estate agent said to us, look, the, the vendors, they have a few vines in pot plants that are kind of twisted around poles on the veranda. And they just can't be bothered removing them. They're too strong. So they're just not going to take them. So we've got these massive pots that are kind of like as big as me and come with, uh, with vines coming out of them. And I think, yeah, that's fair enough because they're so strong 
they're so well uh, grown that they can't be removed so easily. And that's the church. That's us. If we're connected with one another as Jesus followers, we can't be removed. It's only if we bear bad fruit and we die off from the branch on our own volition, not someone else's. Not Jesus. He doesn't cut us off. Yeah? Anyway, John 17. We're going to race through this. This is a segue into his death. And in John 17, he prays to God about his pending death. And then he prays about the disciples set going forth and multiplying. And then he prays a general prayer for the world in general. So it's, it's eschatological in nature the way he prays. He prays for himself and the imminent events that are going to happen. And then the disciples following on from that. And then he's going to pray for the world, the church, the body of Christ, spreading forth the gospel. And in 1631, the disciples call him Messiah and he says... You believe at last. And that's him going, you've got it. I've reached my destination here. I've achieved what I need to achieve because you guys get it. And then in, verse seven, in chapter 17, verse 1, he, tur- he starts his prayer immediately and he says, Father, the time has come. Three years of ministry, three years of training these disciples and he marks the time of, with a prayer which is really cool because then he goes, we go into John chapter 18 where he is arrested and is put on trial really unfairly. So he prays here because he knows that it is going to hurt. We learnt last week that he prophesies, he know, he's read the scriptures, he's studied the scriptures, he knows that Isaiah 53 is going to come to pass. He'll be wounded for our, he'll be pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. Isaiah 53. He knows it's going to be tough. He knows that he's going to be denied. He knows that he's going to be betrayed by his friends. But he knows that he can grab onto spiritual power by praying to get his humanity through the events that he is just about to go through. And in this prayer, I want to pull out verses 15 to 18 in chapter 17 because it talks about our citizenship. And he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. We are Australian citizens. Some of us are citizens elsewhere, but our citizenship is in heaven. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. We go through the same sanctification that makes us as right as Jesus, a man that didn't sin on earth, but through his death and resurrection, through the grace that is poured out into us through the Holy Spirit, We are made right with God. We're truly sanctified. And so Jesus comes down into the earth. We get to go up from the earth into heaven, but also the Holy Spirit doesn't just link us up. He links us outwards. So we're linked together with other believers. We're linked with other humans so that we can make believers of them through the Holy Spirit working through us. There's this huge connection whereby we're connected to eternity, past, present, 
and future. And Jesus is the link. And so when he comes onto the earth and he goes through his ministry and he teaches the disciples and then he marks the end of his ministry with this prayer, he says that it is done, it is finished. And there is his last words on the cross as he dies. It is finished. He knows that the goal is achieved, the victory is won, the grand final siren has blown and it has come to pass. Everything written in the Old Testament has come to pass. Everything written beyond that will come to pass because he has defeated death and he has brought life to all of us through the Holy Spirit. That's something to get excited about. If that's something that really resonates with you, if that's something that really um, confuses you, we can talk about any of that. We've got prayer team here. We've got pastors here. We can talk to you about that after the service, particularly if you haven't received the Holy Spirit. We want to pray for you this morning after the service so you can come and see me. Right now, uh, if you're visiting, what we do is we have two preachers. Yeah, so remain comfortable. Remain comfortable. We've got another preach yet to come. But to break that up, we have a discussion. So there's some big stuff, some heavy stuff in that. If you'd like to discuss that with people around your table, please do so. In a few minutes, we're going to get Pastor Daz up to uh, speak. Uh, we're, we're Obviously, we're in the book of John. Um, have you ever wondered, uh, my job's to be practical, help you with tomorrow. Have you ever wondered how you could lose friends and win people? Well, I want to help you with that today. Here's a, we're going to get a lesson on just briefly and then get into the rest of it on how to lose friends. Everybody wants to lose friends. In John chapter 15, it's an extraordinary passage of scripture. Uh, Andrew just alluded to Jesus talking about the vine and there's so many profound statements right through 14 to 18. Uh, I don't think you can read John 14 to 18 and leave thinking Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Jesus was either God or he's nuts. And, and of course, he makes lots of profound statements. I, I read these passages and think when I read this, I like, it's, it, it just reminds me of the profoundness of who Jesus is, of the teachings that he made the spiritual dynamic to them, the life-giving nature of them. They're, they're as revolutionary now as they ever were at any time. And whilst many teachers and many great teachers' teachings fade with time, um, Jesus' teachings seem to be as timeless and as profound and as revolutionary as ever. And there's so much going on here. And then there's this that we're about to read. If, if, if this part of Scripture that we're about to read from John 15 were, you know, like an insurance company. This is a part of Scripture. If you're an insurance company, this is a part of the policy that at the end of the ad they go, you know, where they speak really fast, so you have to slow it down to hear it. This is that bit. This is the ineligible bit if you've got eyes like mine at the bottom of the page. John 15, verse 18 to 27. He's speaking to his followers, something that applies to every age in some degree and some level. He says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. And my question would be, what's there to hate about Jesus? Like, really? What's there to hate? And it just goes to prove that it's all spiritual. It's not an excuse for bad behaviour. I think we should be the best behaved people on the planet, should be the best workers, should be the most generous people. Our words should be full of grace. We should be inclusive. We should be forgiving. We should be loving. We should love our enemies even when they do the wrong thing by us. All of that. 
If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that's a big deal. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they, they, they would also keep yours. But all these things they, they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so we thank God for that. We thank God that he gives his people the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us to live through all things and to live powerful in all things. And I don't know about you, I remember the first time it happened, I was walking into an important meeting. I was maybe 32 years old, an important meeting. I was a little bit overwhelmed and I was going up the escalators to negotiate a contract. And I just remember thinking, I've got the Holy Spirit with me. He's about to go into that room. I am in charge. Changed my life from that day to this. You and I are not at the mercy of anybody. The power and authority not only resides with us, but within us by the power of God. And so, but Jesus says, hey, listen, you will receive the Spirit and you're going to be okay. It's all good. But paraphrasing his words, not everybody will get you. Not everybody will like you. I'm out of here very soon, but don't worry about that. It's okay. God's got it and God's got you. And Jesus makes it all clear that it's all going to be okay. But today I want to talk to you in the few minutes that we have I want to wrap up what I've been talking about, how to stand firm, but how to stand firm when it's not popular and people matter. How do you do that? Because I was talking to a friend of mine recently who's got some really wrestling with the, um, the, why the cross is important and why his good life doesn't just, isn't enough. And uh, the cross seems so obvious to me that I need a saviour. Uh, even as a Christian, I'm reminded every day that I need a saviour. And so... But, but, but what was I telling you that? He, he, I said to him, I said, you know, like the thing about being a Christian is that even when you do what you're saying, like live a great life, people are for you, you immediately become an outsider no matter how well you live. And he said, oh, I'd have to agree with that. When I've lived the life, I'm an outsider just by the fact of being a person of faith. And whilst you don't need to be an ostracised outsider for the most part, there is something about just saying you're a Christian that does place you somewhere. And in the same way that if I'm working in a meat factory and I say I'm a vegan, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Sitting with a bunch of cattle farmers and I don't eat anything that's, you know, been born like eggs, chicken, beef or anything. You're going to be slightly outside. Well, the Bible says on this earth it's just going to be a little bit of the case even when you live your life and faith well and by the power of God's Spirit. And so how to stand firm when it's not popular and people matter. I want to go back to uh, this little scripture here, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where I've been like all year. Uh, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And so a quick recap because either you might not have been here or you probably don't remember because a few weeks have passed, and how to stand firm. Number one, I just talked about stand firm on God's firm foundation. The scripture starts with the word therefore, and because, and just to recap, wherever we read therefore, we need to understand before, because before is telling us why we need to do the, 
Therefore, that was clear, wasn't it? They, and, and so in the immediate verses before this, in terms of standing firm in, when, when you're unpopular, it says, hey, stand firm because Jesus did die for people's sins. And stand firm because death has become powerless over all who believe in Jesus. Stand firm because these are the verses right before it. Jesus did rise from the grave. Stand firm because Jesus is coming again. Stand firm because everything will be changed in the blink of an eye in a moment of time. Stand firm because our bodies will perish, but they'll take on immortality and I'll never need a cross trainer again. Stand firm because eternity is close and heaven can be yours. And then it says on the back of all these things, it says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, even when it's not popular and because people matter. And so he says that. And then two, stand firm. He goes on to add, let nothing move you. So there's this standing firm that positions us firmly and there's a standing firm that resists drift. And I have one question for you there that I asked a few weeks ago. What could move you from your standing firm place if you let it? I don't know if you answered that when I spoke on it. What could move you from your standing firm place if you let it? And even if you feel like you're standing really firm, still ask the question. I feel like I'm firm, but that question still needs to be asked. Um, I remember in 2013, you know, our church was growing and things were good. Our life was pretty good, little kids, all of that. And it was a hard, hard year for me personally. And I just noticed through what people did that my heart got a bit hard. And, and I had to recognise that if I left this unattended, at best I'm just going to become that jaded kind of pastor or I'm going to drift to the fringes of faith or something I couldn't imagine beyond that as well. And I just had to go, hey, what could move me from my standing firm place if I let it? And so what about you? What could move you from your standing firm place if you left it let, it, let it. And so Paul writes, stand firm, let nothing move you. And then three today, I uh, haven't talked about this at all. It goes on and it says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the work of the Lord is never in vain. And so he says, hey, here's this third thing that goes with a standing firm faith. And he launches a sentence with a big word, always. Always. Uh, now, always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It's talking to believers, not to pastors. It, it, it looks different in every season. I mean, I was 22 years old working a regular job on, on shift and how always giving fully to the work of the Lord looked different there than it did at 36 with three little kids running a business, pastoring a church. And it looks different again today. Now I just sunbake for most of the day. <laughs> Get, get my white legs out there, beautiful tan going on under here. <laughs> always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, always. And, and, and the idea here is it's not actually a detailed thing, it's a, it's a heart thing. It's a, that, that sets the tone of our faith. It's I'm, all, I'm in, man, I'm all in. And it, it solidifies our faith. And, and then what else it does, it, 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 creates, it, it creates focus that eliminates distraction, which helps us to stand firm. And, and isn't that true? Have you done it in your life, just been distracted by whatever's going on? And, and so this comes along and says, hey, always, always. It's a heart, soul, mind and strength thing. And so 
Um, have you done that? And then it says, give yourself fully. Have you ever given yourself fully to a thing? If you're, you know, youngish and you rent, you might be in the process of saving a deposit. Thank God I'm not you saving for a deposit for a home. And uh, Bron and I were lucky. I think we got in in the days of zero deposit. You know, like, I don't know, maybe we didn't check the detail with Bron. But, you know, if you're trying to save for a home right now, they, uh, you, you, you need to make that almost a thing, don't you? Like, give yourself fully. If you're saving for a deposit to buy your first house, unless it's a tent, you're saying no to a bunch of things and trips, things you'd like to say yes to. Like when I'm away, when I'm away, I usually go to Maya and buy a certain kind of T-shirt. But when I'm walking through Maya, I'm saying no to everything that I really want to buy. It's like, I, honestly, I walk around and that's why you shouldn't have too many, um, what do you call them, like uh, uh, generalisations around gender because I'm like in Maya going, oh, I would love that shirt and I would love those jeans and that jacket. If I wasn't married, I would have a Maya card. I used to have one back in the day. <laughs> When you're given fully to a thing, it changes things. If it's a house, you're saying no to a bunch of things, right? It, if you're doing your HSC and you give yourself fully to it, you're saying no to a, a bunch of social things probably. And, and whatever it is, if you're gearing up for retirement and you're trying to load away superannuation, maybe we should have thought about that at 21. But anyway, if you didn't, and you, 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 you're focused on a thing. And, and if you're young and getting married and your wedding day is in the calendar year of this year, who knows, you're focused on a thing. You're right in the zone. So, so he comes along and Paul says, hey, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. All of you believers, because he's the most important thing on earth. He says, I want you to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And what a wonderful way to live our life. I don't say this as a preacher, man. I was saying this when I was 21 years old. It's, it's, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is a way to live your life. If you're not, trust me, if you step across that line, live this way because not only will it change you, it'll change people around you. It'll affect the world in which you live, your family, your friends, your surroundings. What a wonderful way to live. And so I wonder, 2022 um, for you, what does standing firm, nothing moving you, always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord look like for you? in 2022 and more than that this morning I think this combination of things helps us to stand firm in our faith when it's unpopular and because people matter firm immovable focus and so with that thought I want to close with this which is only loosely connected but it's the end of the verse it says because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain now what a great encouragement Paul writes to the spirit of believers. Hey, I want you to know, stand firm, brothers and sisters. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because what you're involved in, it's always, always got purpose. It's never in vain. And he writes that to us. And I love the idea that God, God wastes nothing. He uses everything. And my favourite example of this is the, uh, the loaves and the fishes. And why I love it is Jesus performs this miracle, right? He feeds thousands of people with a family's um, Sabbath day dinner. And so, and, 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 
And so at the end is the miracle bit for me. It's not the miracle, but I'm like, I remember reading this and going, oh, I'm bad at that. And Jesus has them pick up all the leftovers. I'm like, why would they bother? Wouldn't you just perform a miracle? That's what I would do. (laughs) Go, leave it with them. Don't collect anything. I'll do it tonight. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't. And it reminds me, I remember reading it back in the day and going, oh, God wastes nothing and he uses everything. I remember just going, oh, God wastes nothing. He uses everything. Your prayer, your generosity of spirit, your kindness, your work ethic, the grace with which you speak in the workplace and at home, the way we raise children, the way we honour parents, the way we do all of that, the way we go about our business, the way we do business, the way we interact with shopkeepers, the way we do everything that pertains to life, God uses everything and he wastes nothing when it's done in Jesus' name for the good of people. And so may you and may I, my dear brothers and sisters, give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, standing firm, immovable, knowing that he's got you, he's got this, he's got the future and he's got the government in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.